Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast. And it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. It's your fam. It's Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake. But I don't know how to describe where I'm coming to you from other than the land of palm trees. Y'all, I'm in Los Angeles. I don't think you understand me. I am in L.A. More than that, I now reside in L.A. And I only have like 10 books. So I no longer have this abode of books. Y'all, I'm in a trailer park in Los Angeles. I didn't know those two things could ever go together. Like, I didn't know that Los Angeles had trailer parks. I didn't know you could put a trailer park in Los Angeles. Like... I really thought trailer parks were for places with populations much smaller than a metropolis like this. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm trying to wrap my brain around the fact that I'm in a trailer park, but nobody has a Southern accent. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, And, you know, there's there's no longer this, this pandemic paradise going on, so... I'm just going to have to, like, start a new season from here. I, I think I'm just going to start a new season from here, even though it hasn't officially been an entire another year. This is definitely going to have to be season three. So, what up? It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, coming to you live from the land of palm trees, the trailer park of Los Angeles, better known as... I am in, where am I? Where am I? What part of LA is this? This is Gardena. I am in Gardena, Los Angeles, which at one time was nearly all Asian. Um, Korean, uh, Chinese, Japanese, like this whole area was just Asian people. And for some reason, I don't know how, it just kind of, you know, redeveloped itself and here I am in Gardena, California. I am about 15 minutes outside of Long Beach. Shout out to Snoop. And um I'd like to talk to you about the phrase full circle, if I may. You know, um literally just hours before my mother took her life, she had a sit-down conversation with me. And I need to talk to y'all about this conversation because it was, it was, it was, it was a conversation that at the time just made me roll my eyes. And now it makes me wipe my eyes because I can't stop getting 
really emotional about said conversation. It was, um, let's see, when was that? That was 2003 in August, August, 2003. You know, my mom calls me over the house. I rush over there. Y'all know the, most of that story, but we're having this conversation. And she said, John, if there was ever anything I've always told you, and this is true. I told you to get the hell off the East coast. It's, it's, it's always rush hour on the East coast. It's always, um, angry. It's always short. It's always blunt. It's always apathetic. John, if there's ever anything I've always wanted for you is to decorate a palm tree for Christmas. And Lord, I used to roll my eyes because, you know, I was, the first time she ever said that to me, I was like a teenager. She was like, oh, you just have to see California before you die, John. You just love California, blah, 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 California, California. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And like all I ever saw on TV shows about California were like blonde-headed men with chiseled bodies on surfboards or women who spoke like, oh my God, like totally. And I had no interest because, you know, of course, there, are, there are no, there's nobody else in California but white people who ride surfboards and speak like valley girls. <clears throat> but, um, you know, the first time I visited L.A., it was for an invitational poetry slam. And the only reason why I went was because my roommate gave me what little money I needed to catch this one-way flight uh, to Oakland in order to get to Fresno, which I had no idea how far those two places would be from each other. I thought they'd be like right around the corner because I'm thinking normal-sized state, right? So, <laughs> um, but the universe like would not let me quit on getting to my destination, right? So like I had just enough money to get to Oakland and then when I got to Oakland, I got on MySpace. <laughs> this was like 2007. I get on MySpace and I'm like, yo, can anybody help me get to Fresno? And it just so happens that there's, there's this woman who is in Oakland at the time who um, just happened to be headed to Fresno to see family and could pick me up on the way. Right? So there was Miracle One, right? So then I'm in Fresno. I don't win the slam. I got no money to get home, but I get offered three different features at three different venues over three days. And the after party from the Invitational Slam, someone collected hundreds of dollars from me. So I was able to like start my first tour completely by accident. Well, accident to me, but the universe had other plans, right? Okay. So that whole experience is amazing. I get to meet some really amazing people, other poets. Um, and I'll never forget when I landed in Oakland and I saw a palm tree, I started to cry. And everyone thought I was being so ridiculous because the whole time I was there, I was just like, look at all these palm trees, man. And, you know, being on the East Coast, you associate palm trees with vacation, with paradise. Now, child, I'm in Gardena, California. I'm in Los Angeles. When I look outside, it's a trailer park. This does not look like paradise. 
it does not look like vacation. However, high above the trailers, there is this one palm tree. It's standing alone in the distance. And it is the beacon of my mother's words. So, again, years go by. I haven't been to California for quite some time. Um, and then I meet who I believe to be a remarkable woman. Um, we get into a relationship. We get engaged. We get married. And eventually, we move to the Bay Area. And it's the happiest I had felt in I can't tell you how long. Um, it was rough going getting there. Our marriage was rocky. But nevertheless, I was in California. And for some reason, I had forgotten because time had passed. Now we're talking, it's, you know, the 2010s. And I'm not really thinking about my mom's words. But for some reason, every time I look out and see a palm tree, I just feel better. You know, um, and of course, now by this point, I've met some really amazing people. Um, and these people have always been good to me. I will, I will say this. The friends that I had met in the Bay Area were some of the most attentive friends I've ever had. Shout out to Nazila. Um, shout out to Joyce. There's, there's, there's too many to name. I, I, I really, I shouldn't have even started saying names because the names I didn't say, they're going to be feeling some kind of way. Um, but my Bay Area friends have been amazing. Ekabumi, you know, is another one. Um, and the love they showed every time, consistently, every time I had time in California, they were there. <clears throat> you know, the marriage fell apart. Um, I, I moved back east. And um, I was angry and I was depressed and I was miserable. And I thought it had more to do with my marriage than anything else. But the truth is, I left those palm trees. And I, in doing so, I left my mother's words behind. It was like, it, it, for some reason, ever since my mother has passed, it's like her spirit lives on the West Coast. Another time, um, I got asked to feature in Los Angeles, and it blew my mind featuring in Los Angeles. Um, but um, an interesting story that I want to tell you about that happened to me, right? So I feature in Los Angeles... Um, at this time, I am not clean. I am not in recovery. I am using, I am drinking, I am wilding out. <clears throat> but um, I do this feature at the Poetry Lounge. And then I stay with uh, some people that I had met via Facebook. And I'm staying at their house. And um, I take a bus and I go to West LA and I go to Venice Beach. And I sit on Venice Beach and the sun is about to start setting, right? And this entire mass of seagulls, I mean, to say flock would be to put it far too gently. 
this thing, these seagulls came and nearly blocked the sun. There were so many of them. And they, they landed onto Venice Beach on the shoreline. And then they all, like almost in uniform, they did this remarkable thing. They all faced the sunset and perched themselves in the cool sand. And they watched the sunset with me. Like literally, they stopped moving. They weren't foraging for food. No sounds. They just stopped. And they all watched the sunset. Now, y'all, I know as a cynic that I can be sometimes that all of the all, the array of colors in, in a Los Angeles sunset is all due to smog. Okay, but we're going to take that little tidbit and we're just going to throw that out the window right now. Because as an East Coaster, I don't know this yet. So I'm sitting on this beach, seagulls chilling, sun going down. And there has to be six different shades of orange, five different shades of lavender, three different shades of red, some purple, throw a little indigo in there. It was the most remarkable, magical sunset I had ever seen in my entire life. And I cried. And I remember I was listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers because I was at Venice Beach. Who else should you be listening to at that moment, right? And I finally understood it. I finally understood the line. With birds I shed in this lonely view. I was missing my mom. I was missing my dad. I was missing Benny. I'm at Venice Beach. The sun is setting and there are colors in the sky I've never seen before. And these seagulls, these creatures with some of the smallest brains on the planet, understood enough that when the sun is setting, be at peace. It was almost like in my head I could hear be at peace and know that I am God. Like, do you understand, John, what we've done to get you back here? We know you miss your mom, but just take this moment. And I watched that sunset until it was almost gone, and the seagulls got up and flew away. And when the seagulls left, I, this all sounds so ridiculous, y'all, but when the seagulls left, I felt like my mom left me again. So I'm walking off the beach. I don't make it three blocks before I realize that there's plugs all over this one street. I think it was 6th. And I went and copped. And I was walking and I saw a cathedral not too far from there. And I sat on the steps of this cathedral, smoking crack, and just saying, damn it all, because I knew I had to go home. And I didn't want to leave. And I felt so lonely. And I was, I, there was just this void just sucking everything, everything around me, through me, and, and vanishing like a black hole. And... I remember being so damn angry. 
little time went by that night and, you know, I got done doing what I was doing and I found some booze and I boozed it up and managed to get back to where I was staying. I found a neighbor who happened to have some crystal meth. I'd never had it before. I figured I'd smoke some of that. Then I smoked some weed. I was in another world. It was the highest and the lowest I had ever felt in one 24-hour period. Highest meaning positive and hopeful and then nothing. Literally, highest I had ever felt before and the lowest as well. Um, So then you fast forward after that. Your boy is in Albuquerque right? Your fam's in Albuquerque. I'm miserable, not happy. People who were like claiming to like, oh, you're fam. We are going to hang out and spend so much time together. Never heard from them. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling abandoned. And I'm like, you know, I just got to get out of here. This, this, the city's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I, I became agoraphobic. And I, y'all, I wish I was kidding. I wish I was being extreme or dramatic. I literally became afraid, unfathomably reluctant to leave my house, even to go to the corner store, even to go do my laundry, to go to Walmart, to go anywhere. I didn't want to leave my house. I was paying other people to go to the store for me. Like I just didn't want to leave my house anymore. And something inside me was like, God, we got to get out of here. And I remember doing a live on TikTok. And I remember saying, I got to get the fuck out of the city. I got to get out of here. I have got to get out of the city. I'm going to die in this city really soon. And this amazing woman who had been uh, following me on on TikTok, I hate saying following, um, this woman who I connected with on TikTok as a friend said, why don't you come stay with me and my husband and like, you could pay cheap rent. You could finish your memoir. You can get out of all of the chaos that, that is Albuquerque right now for you. And uh, I said, well, where are you? She said, Los Angeles. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. She was like, why not? And I was like, Los Angeles. Man, Los Angeles is expensive. What am I going to, like, I'd have to make sure I have a great job. Something's going to have to give. Like, I can't stay with you forever. I don't know if I could do this. She said, what are you doing right now? and in my head I'm like fuck you but in my heart yeah nothing I'm not doing a damn thing I'm not doing a damn thing but getting more and more depressed losing hope a little bit more every day I stopped showering I stopped eating Um, the bills were coming in and I wasn't producing the way I should have And I kept losing weight and people are accusing me of getting high. And, you know, there was a couple of relapses in there, but it was nothing that was causing the severe weight loss that I was having. The severe weight loss was just me not eating, barely sleeping, stress, grief, um, a lack of of a therapist, a lack of of a psychiatrist. I had no antidepressants. I I was just... I was spinning out of control, y'all. 
I was spinning out of control. And to tell you the truth, it would have been only a matter of time before I, I took my own life. But I couldn't say that in my life. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm all right. You know, things are a little little rough. You know, I got a little chaos going on, a little struggle. But who doesn't, you know? But in my head, I'm like, somebody fucking save me, please. Somebody get me. I just need to be rescued. Like, I don't care how unmanly, unmasculine. I don't care how feeble it sounds. I truly believe in my heart of hearts, everybody wants to be rescued at some point. And in my heart, I was like, can somebody please just pick me up and carry me somewhere? I I just don't have it anymore. I've been fighting since I was a child. Like, I'm just tired. I'm tired. I didn't want to fight anymore. And she said, boy... Get a plane ticket and bring your ass. <laughs> Man, she couldn't have said anything better at that moment. There's something about moving that is rejuvenating for me. You know, as someone with depression, um, I, you know, um, I have dysthymia. I've had it, you know, since I was a teenager. And, you know, from 13 to 52, this thing has definitely, you know, progressed and gotten worse and has been more more difficult to deal with. But there's something about getting rid of the stuff that you look at and you're like, man, I, had, I bought this like five years ago. I've never opened it. You know, I bought this two years ago. I haven't even had the interest. I haven't even given it a second thought since then. I bought this book three years ago. And I haven't even cracked it open. I haven't read a single word. Why do I even have it? And I started to reevaluate my priorities and my possessions at the same time. Like, why did I buy this book? Oh, I bought this book because the author is popular on Twitter. And I wanted to be able to say I had their book and put a picture up with it. I spent $15 to get some acceptance. Well, why did I buy these jeans? Oh, I bought those jeans because Homegirl said I would look good in them. And I bought them. And I went to the bar where I knew Homegirl worked. And then she never even gave it a second thought. So I spent $35 on these jeans to be loved, to be noticed. What the hell was I thinking when I got (laughs) this desk chair? This desk chair is gaudy. It's ugly. Why did I get it? Oh, because that guy needed the money to get his car fixed. And, you know, you spent the $40 to help him. But it really wasn't about helping him. It was more about him seeing you as someone who is helpful. Do do you see what I'm saying? Like, I had to really examine why I made some of the purchases I had made in the last couple of years. And I didn't like the answers. I didn't like the fact that I was working so hard to be seen, to be heard, to be recognized, to be loved, to feel emotionally sheltered. I didn't like that I was working that hard 
You know, it's 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 so much like lying. Oh, you know, like if homegirl who worked at the bar came up to me and said, oh my God, you got those jeans. I said, oh, I would be like, oh, what, are these those jeans? I yeah, I just saw them in the store and I picked them up. That's right. You did say something to me about that, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to admit how vulnerable I am. So many people are like, I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. Uh, most people are lying. Most people are lying when they say such things. But y'all, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles and I got rid of the things I didn't need. I got rid of the things I didn't want. And I got rid of some stuff that I really did want, but I just didn't have room for it. I came here with six pictures. Billy Holiday, James Baldwin, Bosque Yacht, Dr. Angela Y. Davis, and Nina Simone. Those are the pictures I came in here with. I came in to this trailer park and into this trailer and this woman, this woman hung a beautiful tapestry of a black woman with an afro with all of these beautiful words on it. Black, bold, virtual, you know, joyful, wise, proud, you know, fierce, fearless, strong. And she even painted words on the ceiling of my room. The first phrase I saw when I got here was, you got this just above my door. Then it was think, do, and be positive. And on the other side of the room, she painted the words, the, she painted the word thankful. Thankful. Y'all, I, <laughs> I, I, I met someone else that I connected with on TikTok and we went out for, uh, for lunch the next day and she took me to Long Beach and we went to Long Beach and I bought this sexy ass, she, well, she bought me this sexy ass see-through top and we walked on Long Beach and I was so scared to be here. I was scared of being queer in a new city. I was scared of being gender queer in a new city. And child, nobody gave me a second glance. I'm walking around in this long ass skirt, see through top and makeup, and no one even noticed me. And you know what? I was okay with that. And we laughed and we made jokes and we went in the sock store and just had it had a good time and we sat on the beach and the palm trees, y'all, they, they were everywhere. And I wish my mother was alive so I could tell her she was right. She's so right. I needed to be here. I'm thankful. I got this. And I'm going to think and do and be positive. Let me pay some bills, y'all. I'll be right back. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, 
see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, y'all. It's your fam, Black Fluid Poet, and we're back. Uh, Still coming to you live from this trailer park in paradise. I like that. I like that. Trailer Park in Paradise, a.k.a. Los Angeles. So, y'all, we got to talk about two things that are talking about the same thing. We're going to talk about black women, but we're going to talk about Trevor Noah's departure from The Daily Show, and we're going to talk about Brittany Griner. I was ecstatic about Trevor Noah taking over The Daily Show. I was ecstatic. I was excited. I couldn't wait. The Daily Show was this powerful force in in news media. Even with all of the jokes, you know, it it just... The Daily Show was some of the most honest news you could find on television. And, you know, when Trevor Noah took over, a lot of people weren't fans. And I got to admit, even me, you know, I mean, the foreign personality was very strong, very East Coast, very close to my heart, you know. And Trevor Noah came in and he had that little British twinge to the South African, you know, he had he had that colonizer accent thing that just drives me crazy. Like, I, ugh, you know, um, there's nothing more beautiful than hearing black people talk in their native tongues. And to hear Trevor Noah with this perfectly enunciated English, with that twinge of the queen's tongue, I was just like, ugh, blech, you know? <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, what kind of bullshit is this going to be? And his voice was a little light, you know? He just seemed a little more timid. And I was like, this guy ain't going to be able to, you know, handle this shit. But... But I rolled with him. Let's face it. Let me be honest. I rolled with him because he's black. I also rolled with him because he looked a lot like my brother Frankie. So I had to give him a chance. And you know, it it took it took a couple of weeks. But after after about I'd say about five or six weeks, I was like, you know, this dude is fucking all right. I like him. And then his interview skills and his diplomacy when talking to people and you know the way he he tore into conservatives but but in this with, with finesse you know he was like smooth operator and and i was like i can appreciate this dude he's he's fucking brilliant man and then like i had to give him a chance because this guy is you know he's he's the first generation 
post-apartheid South Africa. Like, he's going to have some shit to say. You know what I mean? So I was, I was looking forward to it, you know. And then for seven years, man, I rolled with him. I rolled with him hard. I loved Trevor Noah. Man, the, the dude was just... He was good for he was good for the country. He was good for the planet. He was he was good for black folk. And you know to take over, like I said, such such a beast in news media. He was at the forefront of talking about current events, and you know to bring you know Tracy Cottom Tracy Cottom on there and and to. Uh, he had he had so many brilliant uh, uh, academes, uh, no, not academes, academics. Excuse me. He had so many brilliant academics, academics of color, indigenous academics, um, black academics, especially black women academics. And like, there were these five minute interviews that, in that five minutes my mind was just expanding. You know what I mean? I was so grateful for the questions he asked. It wasn't like, you know, so how long did it take you to write the book? No, that wasn't, that wasn't a usual question. It was more like, you talked about the ontology of the thing. Can we get more into that? And I was like, God, thank you. Like, like he, he, put, he put writer's feet to fires. You know what I'm saying? And, and, Sometimes he, he made him work for it, man, you know, and, and he did it with respect. When he said his goodbyes and people asked him, no, he, he, he wanted to let people know that thank black women more often. Just, just thank black women, period, man, you know, um, give them the credit they deserve. Recognize that shit is beautiful because black women made it so in so many ways, shapes, and forms. There is this one, oh God, I'm, I'm never going to forgive myself for this. There is this woman who quintessentially represents all these beautiful qualities in black women. And I, for the life of me, can't remember her name right now. And I am not going to stop this podcast and look up her name. I'm just not. But I'm going to give her special credit in another episode because I just love her. And I've been planning to talk about her anyway. And she's a woman who says, it's Friday. I'm going to keep it black, but I'm going to keep it brief. <laughs> she sits in the parking lot pouring herself tea and pontificating brilliantly about current events. I fucking loves her. I fucks with her so hard. And now I can't remember her name and I'm embarrassed, but I'm going to get her name to you, y'all. Matter of fact, I'm going to put it as the title of this podcast because that's, gonna, that's, that's what I'm going to have to do. Put her name in the title of this podcast. But, you know, Trevor Noah said people always credit him with being brilliant and intelligent and having all these witty things to say and ideas. And he said, where do you think I get it from? My black mother, my black grandmother, all of these black women that have come on this show and opened my eyes and my ears and my mind to so many things. And I'm going to list some names for y'all. Dr. Archana Pathak. Dr. Kimberly N. as in Nancy Brown. 
Dr. Shirley. No. No, that's not it. Dr. Shermaine Jones. Oh, Dr. Shermaine Jones, man. Brilliant. So brilliant. Um, Lauren Ferguson. Yeah, Lauren Ferguson. My sister, Lori. My grandmother, whose name was Pleasant Ayers. That's her real name, Pleasant Ayers. <laughs> what a name, right? Nina Simone. Nikki Finney, the poet. I believe she won the National Book Award in 2011. She spoke to me about how ancestors sometimes come to us. And I needed her. I needed her to win the National Book Award in 2011. I needed her to remind me. If, 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 you, if, you, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I want you to go to YouTube. Go to YouTube and type in Nikki, N-I-K-K-Y, Finney, F-I-N-N-E-Y, National Book Awards. And you are going to hear, you're going to hear John Lithgow say, this is the greatest acceptance speech I have ever heard from anyone about anything ever in my life. Nikki Finney reminded me why I became a writer, why I read, why I learn. She was kind enough to remind me that black people were the only people in the United States explicitly forbidden to read or write. She reminded me to try and read every book in the library. <laughs> Patricia Smith. God, she's one of the most fabulous women I've ever met. She's just remarkable. She's so brilliant. She's the best poet I have ever read. Pound for pound, I will argue with anybody. I've already had an argument with Terrence Hayes on this issue. I ain't trying to hear it, though. Patricia Smith is the goat. Unfuckwittable. I think of Nina Simone equating freedom with having no fear. Yeah. There's so many black women that have saved my life with words, with threats, with hope. I remember I had almost overdosed one night. Well, I had overdosed, but I was saved. And uh, upon leaving the hospital with a belly full of charcoal and uh, my head ringing from God knows whatever kind of chemicals they put me on to pull me out of whatever I was under, I remember sitting on a curb just blocks from the hospital. And um, I was missing my family, something awful. My mom was gone. You know, my oldest brother was gone. My dad was gone. And uh, I just didn't know what to do next. I was thinking about getting clean, but I wasn't sure. And I remember this elderly black woman walked by me. And she said, and how are you? And I said, well, I guess I'm alive. 
And she walked away and stopped about 15 feet from me, walked back slowly towards me. And and kudos to her, man, because I mean, I had junkie written all over me. The smell, the, the, the soot stains, the dirty ankles, the whole thing. And she walked over to me. She handed me $5 and said, there's a lot of people who can't say that. You're still here. That's all that matters. And she walked away and I cried. God, I cried for hours. I cried for hours. And it's it's taken me it's taken me all my life and I still haven't come up with a decent answer because white supremacy and racism just fuck off, man. That's not an answer. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is about anti-blackness. I don't know why the United States has thrown black people away for five centuries. But can I just tell you, there is something about Joe Biden, a man who once worked side by side with segregationists, a man who dragged Anita Hill over hot coals for speaking her truth. I really believe he was visited by the three ghosts of Christmas because this man, in the midst of Russia having a war with Ukraine in need of weapons, Joe Biden agreed to give Russia an arms dealer by the nickname of Merchant of Death to bring Brittany Griner back home. I don't care about your politics right now. I don't care what side of the aisle you are on. I don't care. I don't have any concern about that whatsoever. Let me tell you something right now. For the first time in my lifetime, an old white man went out of his way for a young black woman. And I, child, look, look, they said it couldn't happen. You hear me? They said it was impossible. The United States made a prisoner trade for a black queer athlete, black queer woman athlete. A black queer woman athlete, the United States government made a series of chess moves, coughed up a sacrifice, compromised, and bent over backwards to bring home a black queer woman athlete from a Russian prison. I don't know what country I'm in anymore, y'all. Like, do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, this was, this was some shit I would never have experienced. When Brittany Griner got arrested in Russia, I was like, she is fucked. Ain't nobody coming to get her. I said that shit to myself. I said that shit to other people. I was like, ain't nobody going to get her. Who told her to bring marijuana to Russia any damn way? Ain't, look, and, and I don't know why we as black people are so fucking hard on each other. I do think that has a lot to do with white supremacy and, and racism. We are harder on, 
on each other than we are on anybody else. We give white people passes. We give Hispanic people passes for using the N-word. We, man, we we get treated like shit by Korean grocery store owners sometimes. And, you know, um, we move into a neighborhood. Everybody want to move out. But we spend a lot of time hurting ourselves and each other more than anybody else. Yeah, the murder rate in the black neighborhood's high. Yes, but we're killing each other. We're not killing anybody else. Mind your business. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The United States of America's government traded an arms dealer to Russia. Russia. This is the same Russia we've been fighting with since be way before I was born, since before I was a gleam in my daddy's eye, you hear me? Gave Russia an arms dealer to bring Brittany Griner home. Never thought it would happen. I grieved whatever I could grieve for a woman I didn't know. As soon as she was arrested, I was like, you gonna be gone. Ain't nobody fucking with you right now. Man, Trevor, Noah, Brittany Grinder, that combination today, seeing the video of Trevor Noah breaking into tears when he said, because black women are the only people who can't afford to fuck around and find out. Come on. I mean, for real? Come, Trev, Trev, you ain't even have to do us like that. Why do they come out and vote the way they do? Because they know they can't afford to have shit go bad. Because when it goes bad, black women experience it the most. And I'm going to tell you something. Zora Neale Hurston knew what the hell she was saying when almost a century ago she wrote, and I quote, the nigger woman is the mule of the world. the first black woman sociologist. When she wrote those words in their eyes were watching God, that was it. That was it. It was the truth. It was undeniable. Y'all, I think I'm just... I'm so proud to be part of the black community, to be part of the diaspora. I'm I'm so honored that my children have so many black people to look up to as opposed to when I was growing up. You know, you didn't have as many. They they weren't out in the limelight like they are now. You know, we had... We didn't even talk about Malcolm X back then, you know. We had we had Dr. King, you know. <laughs> we had Dr. King, Gregory Hines, you know, Diana Ross. It was all just athletes, entertainers, and pastors, you know. I am elated to see how black people have begun to move closer and closer to the driver's seat of this country. How they are being acknowledged 
they are being recognized as much as they should? Of course not. But more than ever before. Now, I'm not saying this is progress. All right? Because progress requires healing. I'm saying that the knife is still being pulled out. The metaphoric knife that Malcolm X talked about is still being pulled out. And I think we have like two inches to go. The knife is still in our backs, but it was in there nine inches deep. And now it's only two. Shout out to black women. Shout out to Trevor Noah. Man, I hope he's getting movie deals because I'm 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 not over him leaving the Daily Show. I'm actually pissed off about it. Um, I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what's going on in the background. It was like all of a sudden this motherfucker was just leaving. You know, seven years, that's a long time to be there. But it's still the Daily Show. It is no longer anybody else's Daily Show. That shit is the Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And I feel so, I pity the fool that's got to follow Trevor Noah. It better be a black woman. I know that. (laughs) Y'all, this is the first podcast I've done in a long time. And I think this is going to be episode one of season three. And I just want to tell you that you need to remember to love yourself today. And if you fall short of loving yourself, let me tell you what you can do. You can start your day over. You can start your day over at any time. Anywhere, any place, with anyone, anyhow, any way you have to. I want to tell you that everything is possible. I want to tell you that everything is impossible until somebody does it. I want to tell you that I love you and that I'm so grateful for all the support that everyone has given me on social media. I want to tell you I'm thankful. I want to tell you that I'm thinking, doing, and being positive. And if you are struggling today, believe me with all the sincerity of my heart, I say this to you. You got this. Y'all have a good night.